The Seahawks made a bit of a surprising late free agency move on Friday, taking away from a star-studded secondary. What does that mean for the Seahawks moving forward? We're going to break it all down on a new jam-packed Mock Draft Monday of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our latest installment of Mock Draft Monday by my co-host and crime and draft guru himself, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to take it up a notch now that we're just 23 days away from the real deal, the NFL draft. We've got expert mock drafts to come through. We've got listener mock drafts on a number of different prospects on today's show. It's a jam-packed episode. It's going to be coming your way here for Mock Draft Monday. Before we get to it, special announcement here. Make sure to check out, we just launched a brand new NFL Draft newsletter here at Locked On. Luke Inman is doing a fantastic job putting that together. Make sure to check that resource out at LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters to sign up for your free NFL Draft newsletter. Again, that's LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Last week, Pete Carroll was talking to reporters at the league meetings about wanting to use three safety looks. And of course, they had four safeties on their roster with tons of game experience. Now, though, it looks like that's only going to be three with the team deciding to rescind the restricted free agent tender for Ryan Neal, officially making him an unrestricted free agent. It cuts $2.67 million from their cap situation. They're still in the red in terms of effective cap space, but Rob, whether fans want to hear it or not, this appears to be a move that the Seahawks were put in a position that they had to make, and they're going to have to make a few more tough decisions here in the next few weeks in order to be able to afford their draft class and ultimately uh, their 51, top 51 players on the roster. This was just that first domino, and I don't know if it means that Ryan Neal is completely out of the picture coming back to Seattle, but I would hedge bets that this is probably the end of his time in the Pacific Northwest. Well, I think that that's a possibility, certainly. I mean, obviously um... – you know, the fact that he is now unrestricted free agent and, and Seattle getting zero compensation for Ryan Neal signing elsewhere at this point, then then, then that is going to leave a lot of Seahawks fans, you know, flustered um, because Ryan Neal is a good football player and he has been a, a durable, tough guy, uh, you know, for Seattle. He, he has been a guy that has made a, a lot of big plays for them and, and played in a lot of different roles. But at the same time, I think that, as you said, uh, you know, Pete Carroll's looking to use a lot of three safety looks. He, he's got three safeties that they are paying pretty well. Um, obviously, with Quandra Diggs and Jamal Adams getting the bulk of that. And then when, and even with just those two, I thought, well, I'm not so sure you're going to be able to bring Ryan Neal back. I, I was kind of surprised when, when Seattle, uh, you know, originally offered him the tender that they did. Um, and I thought that he might be a candidate to walk. Um, or excuse me, as, as a restricted free agent, the Seattle had some options there. But um, when they brought back, when they signed Julian Love, though, 
then I thought, uh, as excited as I was for love coming to Seattle, at the same time, I thought, I don't know how you can possibly, you know, manage Ryan Neal at this point. And, and so it, and it's just the, the, the unfortunate reality of the business is that what you look at, at love, you see a more dynamic athlete. You see a guy that as good as, um, uh, Neil is on, on, you know, on defense and on special teams. Uh, Love just frankly charts out a little bit better, um, and, and that again is just the re reality of of the business. The Seahawks felt that way and made that decision. I, I do think that there's a possibility that Ryan Neal <clears throat> may not get quite as much interest on the open market um, as what maybe some Seahawks fans might anticipate. Um, and, and so there is a chance, I think, that Ryan Neal could be back in, in Seattle. I think he's a good enough football player that he should get that interest. But as you kind of alluded to in the beginning there, you know, th this is pretty late in the free agent process. I mean, teams yeah. are starting to hunker down and look at the NFL draft rather than free agents. And, and so he may get a fairly lukewarm response because this is as late in the process as it is. So it's, it, again, it, it's a it's a sad reality of the game. My, my heart goes out to Ryan Neal just as a man. Uh, but I, at the same time, I understand why the Seattle made the move because I think that they got more athletic, more versatile, more dynamic in their defensive backfield. Yeah, I think that's the big thing we have to discuss here. As great as Ryan Neal has been, Ryan Neal is not going to be playing slot corner. He's not going to be competing against at least not regular snaps. Maybe you can use him in big nickel against tight ends or bigger bodied slot receivers and he can hold up. But he's not going to be a player that's going to be in every down nickel, which Julian Love has shown that he can be that kind of player with the athleticism and quickness that he has. And so it's understandable why Seattle made the move they did to sign Love just from that aspect. He can play both safety spots, and he can also play slot corner. Ryan Neal is versatile, but not that versatile, and he's not the same athlete as Julian Love. At the same time, if you want to look at this from the player's perspective, and we don't know whether this was the case or not. This is just speculating. But when the Seahawks gave the tender, the right of first refusal tender to Ryan Neal early last month, $2.67 million for a guy that was the sixth highest voted safety on all pro balloting. Ryan Neal was probably looking at this situation like, I wish I could hit the market right now so I can get an opportunity to go make some money. And the Seahawks prevented him from doing that until three weeks into free agency. And at that point, I'm sure they've been negotiating on an extension. Nothing was coming there. Seattle realized we can't do an extension because of how much money we've got. Over $40 million right now this year alone tied up in safeties. Seattle realized they couldn't do anything there. And Ryan Neal wants the opportunity. And again, we're speculating here, but I'm assuming at this stage, he wants to start for somebody. And now he's going to at least get that chance, even if it's not an ideal situation, hitting free agency with teams moving on to the draft, not having a lot of money to spend. I still anticipate that there's going to be a team or two out there at least that's going to be willing to pay up some money that the Seahawks right now cannot. If that's not the case, then maybe he does end up coming back. But this is one of those situations where Seattle held the cards because he was a restricted free agent, but now they've pulled those cards back and – Ryan Neal can do as he pleases here. It gives him options. I don't know what kind of options he's going to have, but certainly it's a big loss for the Seahawks when you consider how he's filled in for Jamal Adams the last couple of years. A very solid football player that can do a number of things well, but you can't have $45 million on the books at the safety position. I mean, over 40 already is an incredible amount of money. And 
Seattle's got to make some difficult decisions because at some point you're going to have to get cap compliant. And right now they are simply not. This is that first little domino as they continue to look at other options, whether it's extensions, trades, whatever they choose to do, they're going to have to make some tough calls if they want to get that cap situation fixed. And Rob, if they want to add another player or two in free agency, you're going to have to create some flexibility. And this move still didn't get them where they needed to be. Well, and that, that to me is, again, one, one of the interesting points here is just what could be that next domino to, the, to fall, as you mentioned. Um, just, just really quickly, kind of going back to the, you know, to Ryan Neal and, and Jamal Adams and, and just the safety position in general. I think that there's going to be a lot of Seahawks fans out there who are basically just saying, what the heck? You, you just got to cut ties with Jamal Adams. Ryan Neal is a guy who has done a lot for this franchise, and Jamal Adams has just gotten paid but hasn't actually produced much for the franchise since that trade. I, I understand that that mentality. At the same time, you know, just you're you're in an awfully difficult position because you know that Ryan Neal is a good football player. You're you you know that he is a a guy in your locker room that you know other teammates they respect him. But at the same time, Jamal Adams, when he is right, is an absolutely fantastic football player. And, and so that's the thing is you are looking to win championships, not just try to be OK and, and get some fans to get in the seats. You want to dominate. And Jamal Adams, you're, you're, if you lose Jamal Adams, you give away Jamal Adams, a player that good, then, uh, you know, again, that's just your your team takes a step back at that point from a talent perspective and the teams that win are usually the teams that are most talented. It's crazy how simple that this game can be in that way. And so, again, that's what I think what it comes down to. And the same thing as I mentioned before with Julian Love. I think that Ryan Neal is a good player. He just very clearly was number four on, on Seattle's list of, of those particular four safeties. As far as the other dominoes to drop, I, I think that I don't know that you're going to see a lot of other players get released so much or, or things like that. I, I think it is going to be more in that extension, but – I don't know that necessarily is going to be happening before we get to the actual draft itself. I, again, I, the, the impression I got and being a little bit uh, on the, the pro day tour with, with some of the scouts and not that I was rubbing shoulders with, with John or Pete or anybody like that, but still just that there was a lot of teams, a lot of the scouts who were going home basically for the weekend. And then we're going to go down to their, their franchises headquarters and, and basically just start pouring over tape and really, really focusing on the draft. So that to me is why I don't necessarily expect there's going to be a lot of movement on Seattle salary, uh, you know, marker right now. I think that they're just going to basically see everybody else focusing on the draft. Yeah. I wouldn't expect there's going to be a ton of moves. And one last thing on the Jamal Adams thing. I can understand why some fans would be really frustrated because of all the injuries he's had, how much money he is due this year. And you could do a post June 1st release and you would actually open up $8 million in cap space. But that is different than a pre June 1st release. And you're still going to have to eat a significant chunk of money for the next two years. There are ramifications there. I don't think John Schneider P. Carroll would have had any interest doing that anyway, but especially when you consider that this is a guy that's still a fairly young player. They're hoping he gets back healthy. And if that happens, then obviously he's going to be a difference maker. That's what they're holding out hope for. It just financially didn't make sense for them to do that. And Ryan Neal, as solid as he's been, $2.67 million. It was an easier transaction there, cut clean. And we move on, or maybe we bring him back, depending how the market plays out for the safety. Coming up next, it's Mock Draft Monday. We're going to be looking at some expert mock drafts. And there's a few spicy ones that have come out here in the last week that we are going to be diving in, critiquing. Coming up next here on Locked On Seahawks.
This episode is brought to you by Altman Football GM. If you listen to our podcast regularly, you know how much I love the mobile game Altman Football GM. And if you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your own football franchise, your dream can come true. This game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency in the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. If you want to give John Schneider a run for his money running your own team, this is the way to go. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked On Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On. that's in all caps, in the game store that's locked on in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com, ultimate football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to Mock Draft Monday here on Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad as always to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out, we've got a brand new NFL Draft newsletter here at Locked On. Luke Inman's doing a remarkable job putting that together. So make sure to check out that resource, that free resource, at LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters to sign up for your free NFL Draft newsletter. Speaking of the draft, it's Mock Draft Monday. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, we're taking it up a little bit of a notch because we're three weeks away, a little over three weeks away from the real deal. It's going to be here in the blink of an eye. So we're going to be looking at some expert mock drafts. And later on, we'll be letting our other experts, our listeners weigh in as well with our weekly mock drafts. We'll be looking at three or four of those coming up later in the show. But first, let's get to the people that are paid to dish out these opinions, to give away these mock drafts. And We've got to start with a guy that actually has front office experience. Mike Tannenbaum, former general manager of the Jets, now works for ESPN. And this is the mock draft. And I feel like there's always one of these every pre-draft cycle that comes out of nowhere from an expert that just really draws the ire of a fan base. And this one definitely did because of the circumstances surrounding the first player that he picked in his mock draft. Now, it's a position Seattle's been looking at very closely not a pro day that they went to, not one of the guys they took a selfie with, but this one was really interesting because Mike Tannenbaum said at number five, and again, he made sure to make this clarified, this is what I would do if I was in this position. And he said Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, who if he was healthy, if he wouldn't have torn his ACL, this might look like a really nice pick right now. He might have been a top five selection if not for that ACL injury. And then at number 20, Rob, I know he's one of your favorites, edge rusher Lucas Van Ness. Never started a game at Iowa, but you turn on the film and you see what he did at the combine. You can see why teams are tantalized by him. And so this was a mock draft that drew a lot of ire from Seahawks fans because they're like, not only do we question whether we should draft a quarterback anyway, but the guy, the guy that's coming off a torn ACL? That's the one that we're picking at number five overall. But if you watch the tape before the injury, you can see that kind of talent. And we've talked about it. There's a lot of Geno Smith's game in Hendon Hooker. So it would be a natural fit for him to be the backup to develop behind Geno Smith. 
You know, it, and I think it's funny that the way that, that people have really latched on to the Geno Smith and Hendon Hooker comparison. I, I think that, um, you know, they in a lot of ways, they are very similar. I mean, they are they are quarterbacks who have very good accuracy, both in terms of statistics and just the just the eye factor when you watch them and with the precision with which they they throw the football. Um, you know, they're both very good uh, deep ball passers as well. So I think that they fit in, obviously, well with, with the Seattle's offense and they're good athletes. Uh, they're, they're legitimate 6'3", six, six, in Geno's case, 6'4". Um, you know, guys who, you know, have a little bit of, of stature to them. And not just these little short guy quarterbacks that, uh, you know, it's, uh, you might see in, in, in some cities uh, around the NFL. So uh, there are some similarities to them. I also think that they both are underrated. And I think that's one of the reasons why they often get lumped in together here. The thing with Geno Smith, though, is, of course, he came into the NFL and it took him a long time to have success with Hendon Hooker, that wasn't the case. He was a stud at, at Virginia Tech. He, he was a stud at Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I think that he, this is a good football player. This is a guy that, you know, I've had as consistently as a second-round guy at minimum. That's, again, with the injury. And as uh, it's looked a little bit more, we've <clears throat> got some positive medical reports since the, you know, the, the combine and the fact that he is uh, at his pro day without even wearing like a knee sleeve or anything. He really looked like, uh, you know, he is very much on the road to recovery. And the fact that he would make some sense as a guy who's coming off of an injury, you know, Geno Smith's going to be your starter at least for this year. I, I like the fit with Geno Smith. I And I love, the, you know, Lucas Van Ness. We talked about him, as you mentioned, a million times. To me, if these two picks were flipped, if it was Van Ness at number five overall, Hendon Hooker at number 20 overall, I would not have really batted an eye. And I think that that's the important thing. And this is where Tannenbaum's experience as a GM, I think, is really where this is, becomes fascinating. If me as a draft analyst, if I agree with these two players as possibly being fit schematically for the Seahawks, with their two selections in the first round, then me as a Seahawks, you know, an analyst is going to be okay with these selections just in general. And if, again, if I'm okay with the selections in general, if Seattle does fall in love with Hendon Hooker, the quarterback and the man, and it's easy to fall in love with him as the leader based on everything I've heard um, about him at Tennessee. And again, previously at Virginia Tech as well. Um, if they do fall in love with him, then take the quarterback earlier. Just because why risk losing your quarterback? I mean, if you lose a defensive line, especially in a defensive line class like this one, then, hey, at number 20 overall, <clears throat> I get that. But so if you're going to take the quarterback, if you decide the heck with it, we're going to take the quarterback at 20, then you might as well take him at five and make sure you actually get your guy. So I don't think that this is as far out of the realm of possibility as some might think. It would surprise me. I'm not going to deny that. But at the same time, I do think that this is a possibility of two future Seahawks in Lucas Van Ness and Hendon Hooker. I think they both would be great fits. I think picking Hooker at number five would be a real head-scratcher just because he's coming off the injury. But again, you and I are both hammering this point home. If he doesn't tear his ACL in an alternate reality, we might not be talking about Anthony Richardson or Will Levis from one of these other young quarterbacks as a top target potentially for the Seahawks. We might be talking about Hendon Hooker instead just because he has so many of the skills that the Seahawks covet at that position in this offense in particular for Shane Waldron. And so I think it's way out there right now just with the reality circumstances. I think at number 20, maybe, if that's where you wanted to take him, it would make some sense. But I like that you mentioned number five with Lucas Van Ness because I think that would be an eyebrow raiser for a lot of people. But when we had Danny Kelly on our show a few weeks ago, 
we were talking about wild cards and he mentioned Nolan Smith as a wild card for number five because of those elite athletic traits. But Lucas Van Ness might be another player that you can lump in that category because mm-hmm. we're talking a guy that's 270, 275 pounds. And he ran, I believe, in the four sixes or low or high four fives range at the combine. And he had really good uh, short shuttle and three cone drill times at that size. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's a phenomenal athlete that is just scratching the surface of his football ability. That is the kind of player that John Schneider in the past has drafted earlier than maybe some people expected. I'll give you another name, Bruce Irvin back in the day. There were a lot of people didn't think that he was going to go 15th. Lucas Van Ness, I know it's pick number five, but the guy has the ceiling that not many prospects in this draft class do. And so I don't think that's going to happen. But if you're going to look for a curveball at that spot, Nolan Smith might be one. I think Van Ness is another name that you can throw in there because especially the power that he plays with off the edge to go with that athleticism be a lot of fun to develop that player in this 3-4 defense. Now, let's real quick look at a couple other expert mocks. Gordon McGinnis from PFF. This one's not surprising because Anthony Richardson, we've seen all the reports out there. We know the communication that John Schneider has had with his agent and a bunch of other people at Florida. And then Quentin Johnston at pick 20. He's been a fairly popular mock selection to the Seahawks. Another big bodied athletic downfield player to go with DK Metcalf. Same offensive lineup having to deal with those two guys. I think Johnston at number 20 would make a ton of sense. And Richardson, if he's still there at number five with what we know, what we've seen, how interested the organization seems to be in this player. Maybe it is all just a big smoke screen, but at this point it seems very unlikely to me that that's the case. If he's there at five, I just don't see how John Schneider can not pull the trigger there. Well, as we talked about, you know, again, Hendon Hooker might, might be the quarterback that they like even more than Anthony Richardson. I, I don't know if that's the case. I personally have a higher grade on Richardson just because of, of his potential as the dual threat, even more so than, than Hendon Hooker, as we talked about a moment ago. Just focusing on these two possibilities here with uh, Anthony Richardson at number five, Quentin Johnson at number 20. Um, you know, again, Richardson, you'd be having the same conversation that you're having before with Hooker in that the quarterback, the rookie quarterback, is obviously going to be basically sitting on the bench or at most contributing a little bit as a runner, um, likely as the rookie, uh, which, you know, presumably the starter. So, again, there's going to be a lot of Seahawks fans out there who just do not like that idea whatsoever of you're just giving away the potential immediate impact of the number five overall pick. So I get that you guys can't throw that off to the side, though, you know, if you're going to be taking a quarterback here. Um, so, I again, I'm very, very high on Anthony Richardson. I think he has all the upside in the world. I, I would love to see him in Seattle because I think that he could be a potential MVP kind of a guy. Um, and those guys are very, very rare. Um, so to me, he is worth that type of a gamble. Quinn Johnson, he's my top rated wide receiver in this draft class. Let me just say that right off the bat. I don't necessarily love the fit for Seattle because I think that he fits his best on the outside. That's where he's played the vast majority of his snaps, either left or right side, but not in the slot. If you put him in Seattle, then somebody's got to go into the slot. And I think that's likely going to be a Tyler Lockett. And while a lot of people would say, hey, Tyler Lockett could star there, he could. Tyler Lockett could do anything. <laughs> I'm convinced of this. But uh, at the same time, he's going to be facing a lot more traffic there. And I think you're going to physically beat him up. And I don't want to see that happen to Tyler Lockett. And and so to me, I just don't know that he is the perfect receiver for Seattle. And I think at 20, in the receiver class, this one is, you got to get the perfect receiver. Um, And and so whether you think that that's a a Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think would be that guy as a big slot, 
or a playmaking kind of a slot guy like a Zay Flowers or Josh Downs. Um, to me, those are, are better fits for Seattle. But again, Quentin Johnson, his ability to high point the ball, his ability to catch the ball with his back to the defender. He, he's looking towards the receiver, catch the ball like a, like a quick out or something like that. Catches the ball or a quick comeback, catches the ball, and then when the corner's trying to close on him, his ability to either spin to his left or to his right, to feel that coming and turn the right way, and then he's gone. There's not many guys at 6'4", 220, that have his ability to just make one move and gone. And obviously that's exciting, especially paired with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. So, again, great upside. I just don't know that he's the perfect fit. And there, there's some more inconsistencies on, on these two players than I'd like the Seahawks to take. To me, this would be absolutely swinging for the fences. I, I'd be as excited as you could be as far as the ability for Seattle to put up points in the future. At the same time, it's also one that leaves you a little bit scared because there's some bust factor with both these two players as well. My counter argument to scheme fit would be on this particular one that – Johnston is a player that I feel like Shane Waldron would find ways to adapt him to be able to play him inside some. And I think that he could find ways to get the football in his hands and let him do the things after the catch that you were talking about. I think that's an area that he can develop in his game. And you can't say that about a lot of 6'4", 200-plus pound receivers, but I think Johnston has the athletic ability and the slipperiness to be able to do that. There might be some transition there, but – Again, I'm with you. He's in my top three as far as receivers. He's not number one on my list, but I do love him at number 20 because I do think there will be a few other receivers that are gone before then. And if he's still there, he would make a lot of sense. And again, defensive coordinators, if you have to deal with DK Metcalf and Quentin Johnston, that is going to keep you up at night, especially when you know Tyler Lockett is also on that receiving core as well. And so it would make a lot of sense in terms of adding another weapon to an area that's already an area of strength. And eventually he could be your number two guy with DK Metcalf whenever Tyler Lockett is ready to hang up his cleats. It'd be a really fun one, two, three punch, though, on the outside. Before we transition to our listener mock drafts, I want to tell you guys about a new podcast that we have now on the Locked On Podcast Network. It is the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes. Make sure to check it out. They've got everything from free agency, the draft, salary cap management, and more. So make sure to join NFL experts Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino as they take you through what it's like to build a successful NFL franchise every Monday through Friday. Find Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, next up here on Mock Draft Monday, we've looked at what the experts have to say with their mock drafts. Now we're going to go to our other experts, our valued listeners, and take a look at three mock drafts today for Mock Draft Monday. Now, as always, there's always a few rules, and I will say that most of you did a really good job of listening attentively and following those rules. No trades. I would say the vast majority followed that one. There weren't any trades, so we took the trades out of the equation. And the second thing, you had to draft at least one offensive tackle, one tight end, and one safety. So three positions that might not be viewed as needs going into the draft. Well, guess what? You got to pick three players from that position. And we had some really interesting mock drafts that hit on all of those criteria. So, Rob, let's look at our first one. This is coming from Chris Calvert 3, and I call this the Alabama Buckeyes mock draft because we've got two Alabama players, two Ohio State players, and it checks off all the boxes we mentioned with the positions. Will Anderson going at pick number five. Obviously, we've talked about him a ton, over 17 sacks two years ago for Alabama. 
And then later in the round, that should say round one, pick 20, Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame. And then in round two, Dewan Jones, the massive long arm tackle from Ohio State. Luke Whipler, another offensive lineman from Ohio State at center. So in the second round, it's all about Buckeyes offensive linemen. We've got the linebacker, and I'm going to butcher his name badly here, uh, Henry from Alabama, and then Jair Brown, the safety from Penn State in the fourth round. A ton of Big Ten flavor in this mock draft. But, Rob, this would be a really fascinating one. If the Seahawks, we know Dewan Jones has had a top 30 visit with the Seahawks, so there has been some interest there. If they decided to make that move, we know that that would mean Abe Lucas, the Seahawks are going to slide him inside because there's no way you're putting a six foot eight guy with like 80 inch arms at right guard. You're not going to do that. Poor Geno Smith is not going to be able to see over that. But Abraham Lucas could slide inside. And Luke Whipler is the other Ohio State player that you and I, we talked about that pro day when the Seahawks had all their representatives there. That is certainly another name they're keeping an eye on that could compete right away with Evan Brown at the center position. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that this would be a, a, a really nice draft for Seattle if it was to come to fruition. Um, you know, one of the I, I've been fortunate to have been asked by the Seahawks uh, to, to write some articles on their official website. And one of the articles I'm writing is about the college teammates that might make good fits for the Seahawks. And uh, this last listener, last expert, as you correctly said, Corbin, because they are absolutely, you all listeners, thank you, and viewers are in a lot of times absolute experts when it comes to your particular franchise, in this case, the Seahawks. And I, I think that a lot of these fits, Will Anderson, as you mentioned, Toto, the, the linebacker from Alabama, those two teammates would make sense, would check off huge boxes for the Seahawks and talk about huge boxes. And my goodness, Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler, you said this was like the Alabama Buckeyes you know, and just kind of, again, playing off the teammates. I, to me, this is the line of scrimmage draft. Um, you know, you, the only, everybody is uh, at the line of scrimmage. Then I mean, there's the linebacker, then there's a the tight end. But everybody else, uh, you know, are, are guys at the line of scrimmage. And so I think that there's a lot of things about this draft uh, projection here that, again, make an awful lot of sense. And, I, I, again, kind of the point I was trying to make before about the teammates and the point I'll try to make in the article is that this is something that, that, that the Seahawks have done many times in the past. Um, you're, you're seeing a lot of NFL teams do this and reunite teammates. You know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase being the, the easiest example right now that everybody seems to be talking about. But still, the point is, is that if you really feel like you've got a team on the rise, and clearly the Seahawks feel that way, then if you can get a couple of college teammates, then that just might make it that much easier to develop that quick rapport to put you over the top. And so, again, I, I like the selections of these particular players here because I think that they might have that connection, especially to two Buckeyes, um, you know, again, it's offensive linemen together. Um, and, the, and, and again, the Anderson is unbelievable player. And Toto might just be the most instinctive linebacker in this draft, not the most athletic, but he is a smart guy and he's a dependable guy. And that's something the Seahawks could use at the linebacker, even if it's in a backup role. So again, I think that there, this looks like a mock that's just kind of, you know, okay. I think for some, cause there's a lot of big school names, but I think it's also one that it's pretty darn savvy with uh, checking off a lot of the Seahawks boxes. I think the thing that we noticed with this particular exercise is that it really forced fans to embrace the best player available aspect and and you and I agree on this I think that the Seahawks have positioned themselves where they truly can do that and that's what John Schneider did last year when he doubled up on tackles when he doubled up in corners I'm gonna player that's a 
and we said for sure, if they've got a chance to draft Juwan Jones, if he is their best player with that first, second round pick, then you find a way to move Abraham Lucas inside. And I'm convinced he could play guard. He hasn't done it before, but I think he could play guard. And he's not going to whine or complain about that. He will gladly do it if that's going to help his team get closer to winning a Super Bowl. So if that's the best player that's available there, the Seahawks could absolutely explore doing that, especially if they think that Dewan Jones, the guy that maybe can upgrade right tackle, and then they can upgrade right guard by sliding Lucas inside. And you've got all those guys under contract for the next three years together, and they can grow together. That is a really enticing prospect along the offensive line. Looking at our next one from James J.Y., and I'm going to be honest, Rob, this was probably my personal favorite of all the mocks that we got, just because I'm looking at the athleticism that's popping off the board. Jalen Carter, even with the offseason he's had, you watch the tape and you can just see what a disruptive, disruptive force that he is. We already talked about Lucas Van Ness earlier in the episode with his athletic upside. And then in the second round, Cody Mock from North Dakota State, the guy can play every position and be the water boy on the sideline at the same time. I mean, you want to talk about versatility. He is the textbook version. He might be a tackle at the next level. He might be a center at the next level. He might be a guard. And that makes him extremely intriguing. In this case, we're looking at him as a tackle, but he can play anywhere across the board. And then JL Skinner, we talked about the safety situation in the first quarter. The Seahawks might be taking a safety fairly early because they now don't have one of their insurance policies on the roster. And Julian Love, as good of a player as he is, he is not a pure strong safety that plays in the box all the time. J.L. Skinner at 6'4", over 200 pounds, he is that thumper that plays in the box and also has enough versatility. He can drop back in coverage, pick off passes. And so he's a player that says he models his game after Cam Chancellor. You could see some of that in what he did at Boise State. So if you can get him in the second round and groom him, who knows what happens to Jamal Adams. If Adams can't stay healthy or he's not the same player, you could insert Jail Skinner into the starting lineup in 2024, and you've got yourself a stud-strong safety. I like that. I like the Diane Henley pick in the third round to get another super athletic guy to put at the linebacker position. And also the last pick that I have down on here on our sheet, those watching on YouTube, you had to have a tight end, Josh Wiley from Cincinnati. Rob, I don't know what it is about Cincinnati players because they still were really solid last year. They might not have gotten to the college football playoff like they did the year before, but there's a number of players that are really good NFL prospects that are just hovering under the radar. And Wiley is one of those guys. You look at the stats, you look at the film, he can block, he can catch passes, he can create after the catch. I'm surprised that he's not getting more buzz, but it really tells you just how much depth there is in this tight end class that he's being thrown around as a late day three selection. I think that'd be a home run for the Seahawks from a really good college football program at Cincinnati. Yeah, I, this particular uh, mock projection here, I, I would love it if that was the, the case. I, I, I don't know that that's the way that it's actually going to uh, you know, fall, or it's all going to fall because I just think that there's a couple of players, Henley, possibly Skinner, um, Wiley, as you mentioned, that are not likely to be available where 
where they are in this mock draft. But still, kudos to our listener for putting together my favorite mock draft of this exercise as well, Corbin. I, I would agree with you. J just see a lot of really good football players um, in, in this particular mock draft. And you got a chance to kind of, you know, brag about the, the Bronco in blue. So I'll, I'll kind of gush about the Cougar in red. Uh, you know, again, got a chance to um, – to go to the, the Washington State Pro Day and Corbin Dayon Henley is a stud. I mean, this guy just his uh, the athleticism, um, the the bulk, the the ball skills. Uh, I, I think that he's a total package. I, I really do. I think that he is. He, he's not the most big physical kind of a guy, and and that might be what Seattle's looking for. But uh, I, I just think that this guy is going to come into the NFL and he's going to be a very successful NFL starting linebacker. I think early in his NFL career, and I think again, I think that he he projects well to the league now because it, as a former wide receiver at Nevada, uh, he has those ball skills. He has that that change of direction, that speed, and, um, and I think that he just projects very nicely into a league that is all about throwing the ball in the short to intermediate zones. Um, so again, I, I really like that uh, selection for Seattle. Um, I, I also like the idea of, uh, you know, kind of going back to, um, I'm sorry, if you can put the, the, the screen back up with the, yep, the, the, the whole idea of, of Jalen Carter and Lucas Van Ness. I mean, the combination of both of those two guys, I mean, Corbin, that's like something out of a video game. I mean, I, I again, I, I just, if somehow Seattle was able to get those two players and if in some way they were able to maximize their potential, I know that's asking a lot. That's a lot of ifs, but Oh my goodness. I mean, you're, you're talking about one of the, the most fearsome defensive lines in the NFL really, really soon. Um, you know, and I, I think that, you know, as the NFL draft kind of a guy, um, I, you know, you're, it, it's, it's just natural sometimes to to fall in love with these rookies and think they're going to come into the NFL and take the league by storm. And, and that's not necessarily always the case, of course. Uh, these two guys, especially along the defensive line of scrimmage, have to get bigger and stronger. But I'm telling you, these are two of the most explosive and powerful men in this entire draft. And so if Seattle, again, was able to get those two guys the first two picks, then your problems with slowing down the run cease to exist. Real quick, our last listener mock draft, this one coming from at 101 build, and we've heard so much about the other three quarterbacks, but there is a contingent of Seahawks fans out there that believe that Will Levis would be the one that would make the most sense at number five. There are other teams that really like him as well. And then Michael Mayer, this is the second draft. We have him going at number 20. Kalijah Kansi, the uber-athletic defensive tackle, undersized, but we've seen an undersized Pittsburgh defensive tackle come in the league and play fairly well. I would say the Seahawks know that guy fairly well, too. Mozzie Smith at pick 52, a much bigger-bodied defensive tackle that can play that nose position. Brown, second mock draft that he's on. Penn State guy that had good production, did not have a good combine, though. Not a great athlete that might hold back his ceiling at the next level. And then Connor Galvin, the tackle from Baylor, a really athletic, tall, kind of lean tackle in the seventh round. So this one is more what I expected going into this is that the tackle would be a late round flyer. But most of our mock drafts, it was actually picking a player fairly early that had some positional versatility, which is just smart general manager play by our listeners. No, exactly. That's why, like, the in the last mock draft where I had Cody Mock, um, it, it, I think that, uh, again, that was one of the things the listener or viewer was was uh, kind of anticipating is that, again, that positional versatility perhaps played, obviously, college tackle, but might be able to slide inside. Um, you know, Galvin, I, I don't think that he's got the length. 
um, to be able to remain outside a tackle. If you're going to go with a, a late round flyer on tackles, there, there's some other guys out there who I think are are better athletes that that might be better fits for what Seattle might be looking to do. Again, I think that more likely that they would be going with a <clears throat> um, one of the, the pure centers. Um, you know, if that was the, the case, uh, you know, if you're going to be investing a draft pick in, in that position. Um, again, one of the things I, I really liked about this draft, though, is, is the idea of going with Levis at number five um, and the idea of, of Mayer. Now, this is not going to be you know filling those gaps in the line of scrimmage that we talked about previously that that I think are our Seattle's biggest areas of concern. But at the same time, I do believe that Levis is a very nice fit in Seattle's offense. And if they fall in love with the guy, then I think that, you know, just you can justify that that selection just like you could with Hooker and Richardson before. To me, the number five overall pick is your lottery ticket. And if this is way, how you want to cash it, then just make sure that you feel very good about it. And then with Mayer, you're talking about a really good football player, you know, and so I, I can't argue that. You, it, it, you know, our, our scout, our, our general manager, buddy, Scott McLuhan, used to tell me, uh, you know, you, you're not going to get fired if you, if you draft the starter. You're not going to get fired if you draft a pro bowler. Well, again, Mayer can can be that kind of a guy. Um, and we've talked so much about the tight end, uh, you know, depth moving forward after next year. And then finally, the, the Cansey Mozzie Smith combination. We talked about it just a moment ago with, um, you know, with with big uh, Jalen Carter and, and Lucas Van Ness and how exciting that would be. This is a much more interesting combination. I mean, this is like, you know, chocolate and vanilla, uh, you know, flavor combinations here because you got the one guy who is just big and strong and he's the run stuffer. And then you got the other guy in Cansey who is just so darn quick and such a pass rusher. And so they, they really complement each other really well. I, I just don't know that's the strategy that Seattle's going to take. I, I think that they've got to get bigger on the outside as well. So to me, it's an interesting mock draft. It's a fun idea. Um, I, there, some of the picks in that particular one would surprise me if they want to be going, uh, coming to fruition. Yeah, there are some scheme-related things <laughs> to consider. And can't see maybe the Seahawks do want a 280-pound three-tech that can get after the quarterback. Right, again, we know the last time there was an undersized Pittsburgh defensive tackle that went in the draft and what has happened there. And I'm not saying that this is Aaron Donald 2.0, but you do see some things that pop off the tape that make you think that kid could be an absolute star in the National Football League. And Mozzie Smith is just one of those guys that just gets down and dirty in the trenches. And he will surprise you sometimes with his pass rushing ability yeah. at 330 plus pounds. He would fill a huge hole for them literally in the middle playing that nose tackle position with Al Woods now going to visit a bunch of AFC teams and free agency. They might not get him back. Brian Monet's coming out of an ACL injury. They need to address that position. Mozzie Smith would be a really fun one that I think you could justify a second-round pick with the type of talent and versatility that he offers for a big-body nose tackle. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and all other major podcast platforms for free to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, it's Transaction Tuesday, so be on the lookout on our social media channels. We will have a topic Seahawks roster related, and your job is going to be giving us your input as the general manager. We really enjoy diving into a bunch of listener responses. And of course, Rob and I will weigh in as well. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.